Well, I don't see the point in waiting any longer. So let's bring her out. A star attraction. The one you came to see. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Ms. Judy Gold. You know, you started out, you come to New York City, to the to the Lower East Side. You sell my dad area. Said, wait. Don't, don't, well, wait. My dad says, don't let the Big Apple make applesauce out of you. <laughs> well, my father's advice about New York. <laughs> that is so I funny. I had no life skills. I had no life skills. But you That's came. All, that was what I was told. That was I, You my know, I was lucky because my mother was from Manhattan, so she was so happy that I was, you know. That is so well, funny. Well, my dad worked... My dad worked in New York for many years uh, yeah. in fashion. So I had been to New York. My mom took me to the modern and, you know, I, I had been around New York, but so Soho was, was really done by the time I got there. You couldn't afford it. So right. I moved to Williamsburg. I was one of the first, you know, I was in the early what? wave. Yeah. I was in the, I had a loft in Williamsburg. I lived right across the street from the diner that is from Dubrook girls. Wow. And, um, and it was a great adventure, but it was a little too soon. It was the next Soho, but yeah. not yet. It was like, if you could wait 10 years, you know, it'll be the but next Soho. But you worked. You, you, all right. You started out as a visual artist, mm -hmm. and you, you showed your art at the Met mm -hmm. and at the Dance Theater Workshop. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, I did a amazing. show at the Metropolitan Museum of Art Library. I was making these little books, one-of-a-kind books, and I... I started to get into shows, book shows, kind of fancy, because they were very unusual. They were very messy. And the book art world is super pristine. I mean, right. just like you and I. I mean, we, I, I was like lopping paint on and sewing with my hand <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and writing stories with right, right, you know, right. big paint. And they were different, you know. And I wasn't like, oh, how is a book done, you know. So, right. But then I really, my performance, it's funny with performing because I really love performing. And like when I was at Brown, but I wasn't in the theater department. I, I will tell you, and I'm, this sounds so stupid, but I always thought plays were kind of stupid because I'm like, we're right here. So they, don't they know we're right, like right here? Right, right, and I was right. Like, I was like, I get it if we're like in 1600 and, or Shakespeare, <laughs> like there's no TV. But, like, we have TV. So if you want to do that, do it on TV. Right, right, and, right. But I love I love dance, and I love I – I was never a great dancer, but I was a good choreographer, and I did very experimental, you know, choreographed work. And, um, and I love dancing. And so I did that, and I adored performing. And I didn't really know what a performance artist was. At, in school, but I guess, it, you know, as soon as I came to New York and then I was working at the unsloppy copy shop, another un in my life, and that's when we still had copy shops, not to, yeah. you know, date myself, but, um, and everyone came in. It was on 8th Street. It was so much fun. Every right. band came in and I would, you know, I met everyone. I hooked up with people and it was great. And um, who needs a dating app? So, um, it was so much fun. And it was printmaking too, which I really loved. I loved it's printmaking. It's so interesting that you're, you know, you're a visual artist. Like I can't draw my way out of a paper bag. I don't even know what that expression means, but there's so many comics who have other, you know, art stuff. Music, art, yes. if you have music and right. And it's, I feel yeah. like 
timing like i i hear i am very auditory but you're very visual like it's i, I it's fascinating to me so well but- it was hard when i started comedy well so you know basically the way i started performing was i was doing well with these books but i thought what's going to happen i mean the, the best thing that can happen is a rich person buys them wait that's the best thing but was your mother so happy, like my daughter, did she, was she like Jewy no. like that? Beth is no. going to be at the Metropolitan uh, they, Museum no. of Oak. No, no, no. Rita no. did thing, not talk like that. There was nothing, and there was no sense of like. There's I no affect. No, but besides that, there was no understanding of the art world and okay. what would be good and what would be, the whole thing seemed, I think, scary to them. Um, the whole, the, I don't think, I never got like, was never clear. I think I always felt they were worried for me right. more than like excited that I was in the Met. It all was like, you're in the Met, but it's like these crazy books. You know, right. it wasn't like understandable really. Right, right. So Did people um, buy them? No, because I didn't do it for very long. Right. I was started selling art very young. I mean, even like in college, I was selling stuff, even like the frame shop in New Haven. I mean, I was, I could, I was starting to sell work and I was like the TA for printmaking. I was good at it, but it just, I couldn't, there was too much about art that was this is so obvious. It was a lot, it's all materials. And I have such a hard time with physical reality, like mm-hmm. keeping track of things and moving things. I was like, I, but I, then I won the photographer, the art prize senior year. So I was like, oh, that's what I am. I'm an artist. And, right. But then my advisor told me you didn't really win it for the work. You won it for the way you wrote about the work. And then I'm like, oh, so am I a writer or right. an artist? Like, uh, you know. So I go to New York. I do these things. But, but even after doing them for a very short time, and they were successful pretty fast, I just got like, oh, the way you're successful in the art world is you make something and a rich person buys it. Like that's right. the game. And I just thought, I don't want to just be pimping out to rich people. Right, right, I mean, right. Again, with my like, why should they get to say? Right, right, um, right. And so then I thought, I have an idea. So I decided I was going to make these books. I was going to, and then I moved into Manhattan because I couldn't take Williamsburg. And then I, which was a funny story because I was like, I have to live in little Italy. I don't know why. I just, I have to live in little Italy. So walk the streets, walk the streets, walk the streets. And then one day I'm on Mulberry street and I go into the social club, which people are familiar with from the Sopranos. The guys are sitting there. I don't know what it is. I'm a girl right. from New Haven. Nobody's ever told me anything. I see these guys sitting, having espresso and I open the door. I walk in and I go, Hey, you guys, they all put their hands in their pockets. You know, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like doesn't she know about the mafia (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious i'm like hey you guys does anyone know of any apartments around no way (laughs) (laughs) but i had a friend who was a friend from brown actually right um uh who lived on the block and eventually he helped me get an apartment above lucy's candy store which Ah. was a store that had three candy bars in the uh, in the counter. <laughs> like not a candy store. And if this is like too long a story, I won't tell you. But anyway. no, no, no. Go ahead. Well, my parents came to visit me there, and Lucy said to my parents, "Don't worry, we're watching out for her. She'll be fine." <laughs> <laughs> and so in that building, this is crazy. 
See, this building was so amazing. So it's a five-floor walk-up. You know, it, it's as big as my computer. You know, it's so small. There's not one right angle in the whole thing. There's no water pressure. But I, I loved it so much. I mean, it was, it was just life to me, this place. I was so excited to be there. It was Mulberry Street between Spring and Prince. It was everything to me. And um, on my Instagram, actually, I posted a picture from the roof recently that my friend Donna Ann McAdams, the amazing photographer, took, and it got, like, more likes than anything. Wow. It's like, you just like me when I'm young. But anyway, um, uh, it's a great picture. Check it out on my Instagram. So anyway, so I'm there, and... Um, I start making these little books big. Now I'm going to make them big and I'm going to perform in front of them because then everybody can see them. And I miss performing, but I don't want to be a dancer and I don't really want to act, but I love performing. So I'm going to make these books giant. Instead of writing the stories, I'm going to paint them and I'm going to tell the stories in front of them. Great idea. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So I get it. That's a good mode of expression. Yeah, I thought so. So I get in. <laughs> so I start to perform at the various performance art spaces. So I get in and... Um, I get, you know, my very first review is like problematic because it was in the Soho news and it was like, I can't remember the headline. I have to find it somehow, but it was something like, fuck the old timers. There's this great new, this, this one, there's this new girl and she's amazing. Right. So, and then it was like, like medium reviews of three powerful performance artists. And then, but there's this new chick. So it was like, oh, who's this new chick? Ah. And it was like, but it was, I don't know. So anyway, but here's the funny story. So I'm making these things, right? This was a little before that. And I get a, uh, <laughs> I get a, uh, a, a sheetrock move. You know, when you see people going in the city, moving sheetrock around on, she yeah. it's like this dolly. Right. And, um, and I bring, put the books on them and I wheel it to Washington Square Park where in order to get a good spot, you've got to be a fire eater. I mean, right. you can't be like a quirky, brown-educated girl telling offbeat stories about right. some mythical she. You know, and so I, just, but I took the best spot, and some guy comes up to me and goes, uh, honey, this is my spot. And I was like, I'm here. And it was just so like, you're not here. You are not here. Anyway, I had to like vacate that spot. Yeah, it was, it, there's turf wars in Washington Square Park. Anyway, I do this. And then I would keep the sheetrock thing and the books underneath the stairwell. And the super of the building was Louise Bourgeois. Do you know that artist, the famous artist, Louise Bourgeois? She's a very famous mm -hmm. uh, female. One of the most, you know, I'll, I'll check her on Wikipedia later. And, okay. uh, and she's very famous. And her son was my super. So he was very pro artists and... Uh, he said, you can't keep your books there. You can't keep your books there. But he let me keep my books there because he loved artists. And one night I'm in my apartment and I'm writing a story about a girl who saves her boyfriend from the fire. And while I'm writing this story, bam, 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 bam. No. It's the fire department. There's a fire in the building. No. Yeah. Fire, fire, fire. It's like just our phones. I mean, it's like, it's so thin. The membrane is so thin. What is that? I don't know. So wait, even, so the fire gets put out. Where has the fire started? At in your my books. books. In my books under the stairwell. So then I'm petrified of myself. I'm right. like, I'm too powerful. <laughs> and I, I think, <laughs> I mean, I wish I had, somebody asked me recently, like, do you have a mentor the way you mentored? Did you have a mentor? And I'm like, I didn't. I mean, I right. wish I had had like an older woman or man, I, you know, or, right. or 
say anybody, I mean, not gender specific to say like at this time, like, this is what it means to be an artist. You have these things, you're sensitive, you know, this right. is part of the gig and don't worry about it and just learn. You need to study, like you need to learn meditation and you should right. stop getting stoned and you should do this and that, you know, you right. need to understand your power. And not to say your power, but you have to understand the power. I mean, look, there's some people who understand how to make money. That's their power. But, you know, what is it that, you know, so anyway. Well, the thing that, you know, every, everyone knows you for is Uncabaret. And this is, you went to LA with Greg, your Mm -hmm. Mm ex-husband, Jew, and... You go, and this this is why I was so upset you would never use me. It's because... You told so many jokes. It's because I told jokes. You you created a space for people... I'm sorry. It's okay. But, you, this, but I'm going to tell you why that okay. it was so emotional for me. Um, is because you... You, it's a story. It wasn't only storytelling. It was rants. It was non-misogynistic. It was non-homophobic. You always said there's no xenophobia, no misogyny, no homophobia. Um, and the fact that you created Uncabaret because, as you said, you got to L.A., you go to these clubs, and it, literally every comic was using their act as a, as a sort of audition or stepping stone to do something else right to get a sitcom every because you know look roseanne and every comic i i did not ever get a development deal or a holding deal i'm like the only comic of that era that didn't but it was like they were all tailoring their act so that when an agent or a writer or a producer or network executive was in the audience that they would say oh that's an idea for a sitcom you know yeah and i always felt and and then there was uncabaret and the uncabaret you know there were comics that and you know we're talking our good friend judy told god oh my god we're gonna talk about and taylor negron Mm. and julia sweeney and michael patrick king and uh david cross and janine caruff like there was just it was there were comics in the club clubs that were like, eh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they use their notes, yeah. you know, like so, like, uh, and I never, even though I told, I never really told, I told stories a lot and I talked about my mother, but I never really felt like I fit in, in the clubs, in the way and I always wanted to be a part of, and I, I it felt kind of like, oh, they're the cool ones. And I, it was like, I don't fit in anywhere. Oh, you know, I could I'm go sorry. in the clubs and kill. I knew how to kill and do my own thing. I don't think anyone else was like me, but I wasn't the type that did those two, those 10 minute, eight minute, six minute pieces i yeah. would get on and just talk and talk and i was like T-, i used to tell judy tell tell beth i do i tell stories like i tell a story about my mother <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> so I I always, you're right i was wrong i'm not in no it's okay it's okay but it really did you created this uncabaret you decided i'm gonna create a performance space that's safe um oh and people hated and- that why should it be safe Right. Because you saw a bunch of let you did a show 
at, at a at a place and there were a bunch of lezzies in the audience and they were you were like oh my god you guys are so receptive and they said yeah because i said when was the last time you laughed they're yeah. like well we don't laugh we're women you know, we don't go to because we're the we're the fodder yeah. that they make fun of and and it was like a ping for you and you created this i literally in the moment said to them it was a download i didn't think of it i don't know where it came from i literally in the moment said to them i'll make you a show it'll be unhomophobic unxenophobic unmisogynist it will be the uncabaret where that came from i don't know what it was i didn't know right i didn't know i didn't except that i had had this idea you know, that we talked about earlier, you know, there's got to be a better way. And then, so that's the thing about being ready for an opportunity kind of thing. Like I did have this idea, there has to be a different way than there we were. And I make a show, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it would last the rest of my life. And right. a cross that I would carry around. That it, it's ever. not a cross that you carry. It's <laughs> fuck it. It's amazing. So, um, <laughs> you know, you but it's also like, it's in some way it is amazing. It's a hundred. I'm so grateful for it. It's been a life. I've learned so much i've tried to quit it many times yes i i have read that many uh many times now do you remember the first uncabaret show and who was on it go okay that's such a great question but i and i have a very iffy i i do remember doing it um where was it it was at the women's building it was at the women's right. building it wasn't just that they happened to be at a show there was this building called the women's building in downtown la that was a women's artist space it was where judy chicago oh yeah i love her yeah party so it was that space and so i did it for them there and um you know maybe judy toll was in the first show um, maybe Carrie Snow. Um, I really, it, and, and beyond that, there's no posters. I don't remember. We did a couple of shows there. It was still very searching what it was going to be. And then they lost their funding. And then I thought, well, there's something here. And so we took it to Highways, which had been started by Tim Miller, who started at PS 122 in New York. Right. Where you had now, done stuff. You'd done stuff at PS 122. Oh, ton, a ton of stuff already. Danceteria. Remember Danceteria? Yeah. Uh, the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, all that. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. And then so Tim started that, and, and I did it there. And that was just me, Taylor, and Judy. So I like to think the women's building was almost the, like, insemination then the the yeah. highways was the gestation and luna park was where it was born people say where did it start and i'm just like it was a long right. two-year process yeah, it was luna yeah we would call it beta testing now right but there was this long period of growth hey everyone you know one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids, and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity. And eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great it is high quality and they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. 
Every week, you have over 35 options to choose from. They have Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto. I just did Chef's Choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, Gold 50 to get 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. Okay, two questions. When did you know, oh my God, I, I have something here. That's question number one. And number two, when did you realize, okay, these are the rules. Highways was great fun, and it was Taylor and I and Judy. And um, Taylor Negron, Judy Toll. Judy Toll. They re- really, the three of us, I consider that really where the DNA formed. And I, it really did feel like something because all the different threads of what on Cabaret is Judy's ultra person. I mean, oh my people God. don't know her. I mean, she was just so open I, and we, sharing. We need to now dedicate a few minutes. Judy Toll was one of my best friends, one of your best friends. She passed away from melanoma in 2002, was the biggest hypochondriac in the world, uh, was the most honest performer. I think she was the most um, naked, in a way, performer. Not, no holes bar. I... When she got, and, and and just FYI, when she when she got when she found out she had cancer, <laughs> um, and it was stage four, she would like call up and go, Judy, told to stage four, please, Judy, told. Like it was when she lost her hair, and she had this wig, and it would move in the front, and she'd come up and she'd go, she she if she did a, she'd move it and go top of the morning to you, top of the morning, you know. There was nothing that was sacred. And she embodied on Cabaret because she would just get up there, emote, rant, and tell a story. Um, And she would call me the next day and she would run through it and say who was really doing it. Dana, she would get mad at Dana Gould. He didn't really do it. Right. He didn't really do it. I hear it. He'd done that piece before. (laughs) I mean, she would really like, she was really strict, like stricter than anyone about the rules. The rules really happened like this. Um, 
once we were at Luna Park, the rules were still sort of like, just do stuff you can't do at the clubs. That's how it started. And then, then, and I was calling people like, you got to come see this. And they were like, I hate stand up. And I'd be like, it's not like stand up, you know, like that. So we're getting people in and then people are starting to like it and they're bringing their friends. Now, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. We can't do the same stuff again. I mean, now people are coming back. Right. Oh, and so I can't do the same stuff I'm on hosting. And uh, but really, they saw you date. Okay, so everybody new stuff. But once people started doing new things, then I they were. It's hard to do new material, as you know. So if you're oh, going to do right. a whole set yeah. of new material, there's things you haven't figured out totally. And so I'd be there was just a mic there one night, and I just asked somebody a question because the mic was there, and it was like obvious, like they could. There was more funny in that spot. I don't remember who the first one. I keep thinking it was Julia and she was telling a story about her house burning down when she was a kid and she passed by it. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, your house burned down when you were 12. What was that? And then that was her whole set. And so it got, and I also very clearly in my mind, besides being the, the female thing and the gay thing and all those things um, and the fear of difference, I also had this feeling that my friends were funnier on the phone than they were in clubs. I mean, right. I, I just so forced. It's very forced. You and know? I just kept thinking there's got to be a way to make it like the phone. Like right. now nobody talks on the phone, but that feeling of intimacy. And so all of a sudden I asked this question on the back mic and I was like, oh, this is the phone. This is just what it is. Right. So that, that was like, that's when the rule. That happened. was the greatest part. That is because I remember in the, you know, in the 80s, like in the early 80s, when we were all in New York and I was at the improv and I'd go on really late. And I remember Michael Patrick <laughs> King would go on the back mic and start like, all right, dude. And then sometimes <laughs> he'd run outside to the door. There was a door that was always shut that was by the stage and he would bang on the door. And like, because it was so late at night, we would just fucking play. Um, but that was so great because the first time you got on the mic, someone, I read that someone was doing a bit and it needed something else. And yeah. you asked the question, Yeah. Adam just said, oh, but whatever the question was, uh, yeah. whatever it was, but you'll know this. I mean, one of the things that keeps an audience from laughing is an unanswered question. If an audience is sitting there and they have a question, they won't laugh because they're just right. need an answer. Like if you leave out a piece of information in the setup or you right. half of something, there's like, I would laugh, but I need an answer first. So right, right. And it's, I would also, also, it's the same as the elephant in the room, you know, like yeah. it's like you got to address what people are thinking. You can't not. But try, I always, another pet peeve, if we're going to, uh, my two comedy pet peeves, I know what you're thinking. I never want to hear a comedian say, I know what you're oh, thinking. Oh, I know what you're thinking. I, 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 think I know what you're thinking. I'm a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I'm the love child of somebody and somebody opposite. That's <laughs> <laughs> just my pet peeve. Just That's my pet so peeve. Funny. I never said that. That is just the funniest. I know what you guys are thinking. Hey, what is he going to get a haircut? Yeah. I've never once been thinking what a comedian knows I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know who they're talking to. And so I check out. And so. Oh, my anyway. God. That's so funny. I love that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, I think yeah. that, that, so that's, that is what happened. And then. 
it wasn't, it wasn't like one night. It slowly was like, oh, wow, people are really coming. People are starting to come. And then the LA Times assigned a writer to it. And, and we heard there was this article. Greg did a really smart thing. And he wrote a press release that was like, it's a movement. You know, there are other shows. We're doing this at Uncab. But now there's some other alternative shows. And Anyway, this guy, his name is Chuck Crisofuli, started to come. And then all of a sudden, one Friday... You'll, oh my God, this, this unites us, this story. We're living on Finley, both you and I. Yes, we lived together in LA. You lived above us. Yes. I, I, and... I rented, wait, just everyone know, I rented an apartment with two lezzies and upstairs was Beth and Greg and all I did was <laughs> complain about the noise, which I still do with my neighbors in New York. Like that's all. I was like... I mean, that is so hard. I was like, I can't walk any softer. <laughs> I can't walk any softer. I'm sleeping. What was that? What was that? Wait, it was Finley Avenue. I forgot the address. It was right. Finley and, um, I can't remember the number, but it was Finley near uh, Hillhurst. Yeah. It was, uh, oh, I love that apartment. Oh, it was, it was fun. Um, anyway, it was that apartment and I walked out. I used to walk up in the hills in the morning and and I walked out and there's the Friday LA Times. Like, I can't believe I actually had a subscription, but um, I opened the paper and above the fold in the calendar section on a Friday, the whole above the fold is this giant headline, a new breed of comedians. And then there's pictures of everyone and there's a big picture of me. And there's this article that is just like, this is the new thing. And then, you know, and then we go from trying to, keep it going to like literally fistfights of people having to get into the shows. Right. Literally. There was one night also some executive had flown in from New York and they weren't going to let her in. I was like, you have to let her in. The fire <laughs> mark. It was like, hey, there's a fire mark. You know, it was right. John Pierre. And he, you know, I, he was a big piece of it. He, he ran a club, you know, the club owners, as we started with Bert, these guys right. and women, um, who who owned the clubs? I mean, Mitzi one woman, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, um, you know, it's this is an important part of it, and he was a little bit of uh, he had he was very Parisian and very he he was ran a tight ship in a weird way, and but it was a little bit good because it was like he was the parent, and then we were in the basement, and I think there was something about having the show in the basement that was like it was very the semiotics of it where you would like right. leave the club and go downstairs. You're entering the subconscious, right? And right. You faced a mirror, and you let go of your ego and. Anyway, performers would sit on the stairs going up and it, the room started to get more and more crowded and people were coming and, you know, everyone was there. It turned into just such a scene. There were and people, also I mean, afterwards, because there was a restaurant upstairs, you yeah. guys would all hang out. Like it we was would all hang, yeah, it was a scene. I mean, it was really like a scene. And it was a little weird for me, I have to say, in retrospect, part of what was hard was being the man. I mean, I was never the funniest. I don't mind saying that. I mean, uh, maybe the somethingest, but you know, I was on every night, every show. So it was your show, but do you, did you feel like, Oh my God, I'm really cool and hip. And I'm, did you ever like think I've created this, I did something with my brown degree. No. Did you ever think modes of expression, Judy? Yes. Modes of expression. Did you think, uh, oh my God, 
I've, I've made I it. Was, I've, I I've, didn't at the time. And uh, what I really thought was, why can't I sell? You know, and then we tried to sell it. This is a piece of history I don't really talk about. We, it was optioned, you know, and of course, you just want to be on TV. I mean, it's LA. What good is it to have a hit show? And you, you know, okay, go ahead. And so we were optioned and um, Comedy Central wanted to buy it and they wanted Janine to host it. And I said, no. And nobody told me like, hey, this is show business. Sell it and let her host it and you'll cash in and you're going to make house money. And uh, then what you're going to do is come up with another idea. I was like, no, it's my show. I have to host it. So instead, Comedy Central did this other show called Comedy Product. And I was devastated. And they were like, you know what? be in it. Can I say something? Sure. Knowing you. Yeah. Comedy Central would have done that. You, you, you would have been drinking even more. They would have ruined your idea. Yeah. Do you know what I no, mean? No, I know. They, we, they really would have. Be here today. Yeah. Right. So everything happens for a reason. Yeah, I mean, eventually we, yeah, and I, I let go of it. You know, there was, yeah. I, 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 about 10 years ago, I thought that was the biggest mistake I ever made. Was I know, I do that too. It's because you get to a certain age where you're like, God, I wish I had so much money because you see all your friends have money and you're like, I could have done this and I would have had I'm money. like, there's still things to do and this is my destiny and I just, right. it, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm in acceptance now. But, and eventually we did do it for Comedy Central, but this is kind of crazy too. This is so show business. We did one, it was supposed to be a backdoor pilot. It did come out really, I'm proud of it. We had, uh, Kathy Griffin was in it before, you know, she was Kathy and Julia and Taylor and uh, Andy Dick and Scott Thompson, mm-hmm. um, uh, Dana. And it was, it was supposed to be about like a backdoor pilot, but, and we were getting all this press and then we had, couldn't get press of, we were told not to get so much press because they needed all the press for South Park. Cause obviously they'd already, you know, South Park was the thing. So we were right up against, and so it was like, well, right. yeah, sure. Uncab, but what about South Park? We're that's, you know, our thing. Right. So that didn't happen, but you know, and then I did feel a lot that I was never getting my shot because I had this thing and nobody could really see the other stuff I could do. Right. And everybody else was getting super famous and everybody in the show was getting famous and getting their deals and getting right. rich. And, and it was hard to feel like, Oh, you, you know, you're so cool. You created this thing when really I was struggling financially and I couldn't figure out what my, the rest of my thing was going to be. So eventually I did a one person show and then I did get that, a radio hosting job at comedy world. And that was a blessing for a year, but that's a a two hour show that we won't do right now. What happened to that network? But, um, (laughs) you know, it was interesting because it was ahead of its time and it was internet. I mean, it really did change. It did change. And and your impact, honestly, is it's present today. It's present in in traditional comedy clubs today. Those people are now considered mainstream in a way. And, yeah. and what you were fighting against is considered hack. It is literally considered hack. So you did an, an excellent. Thank you. Excellent thing. Now, that was my thing. It was in the past. And why should I do it again? You know, and, and when I went off, you know, uh, I, I bought a house in Palm Springs. Right. And I did my show 100% happy 88% of the time. And I was like, I'm really done with sign cab. It's really just time for mom now. You but know? it keeps it keeps it keeps coming back. Do you want to hear a crazy Do you want to hear a crazy story about how it came back? Yeah. 
so I'm coming. So Palm Springs, I mean, it was a blip, whatever. It was interesting. That's got to end. Coming back to LA, I can't live, you know, we're supposed to go back and forth and then the crash, we can't have two places and whatever. Go, come back to LA. And, um, and then I'm looking, I'm trying to reset up my life. Greg and I are in the middle of breaking up and, um, and that's fun. If anybody hasn't ever been through a divorce. Oh, it's so great. It's so, I I lost so much weight. That was the only, (laughs) that's it. It was like, and we, there now there's no house. I'm living friend and the whole thing. It was like, but okay. My good joke from that time is I was avoiding my mom because it was so hard to talk to her. And so finally one day I pick up the phone and I was staying with the brother of one of my friends from Brown and they had a place, whatever. So I, I can't really talk, but I pick up the phone one day and she says, Oh my God, I've been talking to you in so long. How are things? I'm like, well, you know, fine. <laughs> she says, well, what's happening with the show? I'm like, well, the hundred percent happy at 8% of the time. I think we have to close it. Yeah. So nothing's really happening. It was good, but it's over. What's happening with the house? I don't know. Maybe foreclosure, maybe Airbnb. I don't know. Maybe we can sell it. We're underwater. It's not good. What's happening with your finances? I don't know. It's really not good. Maybe bankruptcy. It's not good. Well, what's happening with Craig? Uh, yeah, things aren't that good. Um, we might be getting divorced. <laughs> there's like total silence. And then I say, well, uh, as long as we're talking, I may as well tell you, I also, I quit drinking. And she says, now with everything going on. <laughs> she says, do you really think this is the best time for that? <laughs> Mom, so fucking best. (laughs) I love that. I that's a good. That's good. Um, So, so then, um, and then a friend, uh, a friend of Mitch and mine, uh, said, "I'm working at this place, and they need shows, and maybe you guys could do something." Mitch Kaplan. Mitch Kaplan. Working. We're working 100% happy 80% of the time together at that point, and. And so we go down to this place. Okay, okay. And then a friend of mine had given me a card because it's such a hard time. And she gave, and she's kind of like a spiritual guide kind of person. And she gave me this card that was like, it said hope one way. It was like a traffic sign, hope right. one way. Hope Street and a one way sign. And I'm like, I don't even believe in hope, you know. Uh, hope is about the future, you know. You, ta- like, okay. you said, you quote, Hollywood taught you that hope will kill you. Yeah. That was a Greg thing. And I, I picked it up from him. He was very like, he was more Hollywood than me. He was a screenwriter. I was an artist, you know, and he had a very like, ah, you know, ah, you know, ah, the hope's going to kill you. And I bought it, you know, and, um, and then, but also the yoga was very in the now. So that was also like, not about hope. That was about being present. So right. I really had a very confused and plus being Jewish. I mean, you know, hope. Yeah. so, I, anyway, she was a Christian and she gave me this card and I loved her. So wherever I went and I moved 18 times in two years, I went a lot of places and I would have this little card with me, hope one way. So Mitch and I go to this venue and we're looking around. It's a great room. I've never seen this room before. It's so hard to find a good small room. And miraculously, this guy says, yeah, we want you to do a show here. Do a show. Do a show. They're going to pay us to do a show. They don't even know what show. They need a show. You're, you seem good. Sure literally like never has that ever happened right so we're like and then i'm like okay well let's do like playtime with beth and mitch and and mitch looks at me and goes well let's do on cabaret and i go 
I'm not never doing on cabaret again. That's what was dead to me. Dead, right. dead, dead. And he said, well, let's just do one for your birthday. Everybody loves on cabaret. And I'm like, never doing it again. He said, and so I'm like, I'm fine. We'll do one on cabaret. So we book one. And we say, we're going to do on cabaret picnic. We walk outside. We realize that we're on the corner of First Street and Hope Street. No. And not only that, the venue is called First and Hope. Okay, anyway, the fuck is that? The fuck? And then oh. we one show, and seven years later, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the 25th anniversary show, and then, you and know, the eight, blah, yeah. blah, blah. You know I love my liquid IV, that I drink liquid IV pretty much every day. And I love it because it keeps me hydrated. I travel with it because it's in little packets. It tastes great. It's an amazing product. It hydrates better than water alone, three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drinks, eight vitamins and nutrients, non-GMO. But here's the best part. You know I've been bragging about Ben, my son Ben, who plays basketball. His team, his entire team, they love Liquid IV. I mean, they are number four in the nation. They are an amazing team. They've done better than ever this year. Dare I say it's because of the Liquid IV? I'm not going to say for sure, but I'm telling you, these athletes love Liquid IV. They love all the flavors, strawberry, lemonade. I love the watermelon. I never give them any of my watermelon. They have sugar-free, white peach, green grape, lemon, lime. It makes you feel great. And if you need a little caffeine, the, the uh, lemon ginger is beyond, beyond. And I know they use it while they're working out. I'm pretty sure they might use it after a game that they won and went out and had, you know, a couple of drinky poos. But that being said, I love Liquid IV. They're a great sponsor. They're a great product. And I honestly couldn't live without them. And it's winter still. You need to be hydrated. Hydration is very important. So weekends are for going wild, as you all know. Have a game plan for Monday. That's what you need. I just had this conversation with Ben's girlfriend. I said, if you're going to go out and party, you need a game plan. And what's your game plan? Liquid IV. Weekends are for going wild. Have a game plan for Monday with Liquid IV. Grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code Judy Gold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Superior Hydration today using promo code Judy Gold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at liquidiv.com. You're welcome! And then finally, I will say to close on Cabaret, it was with that show that I finally did get, it was really, and I didn't want to do that show either. Another friend convinced me to do that. And it was only then that I had to say to myself, if this is what you did, it's not that bad. Right. Like it never did seem like enough or big thing or good thing or compared to what everyone else did or 
And I had to say, when I did that show and the love, it wasn't just the love, it was the quality of the show. It was telling the story of the show. I wrote a cover story for the LA Weekly. We did the, you know, and it was really me thinking about the show and the hospital and how that played in. And I put it all together and I look at 1800 and new people came. It wasn't all just like, you know, people who had always come. And in that moment, it was like, I always say it was like a wedding size event. It was a little like a funeral, but it was also a little like a funeral because we didn't know where we were going, our venue had closed, and is it ever going to exist again? It was like a wedding, a funeral. Well, I don't know what it was, but I did get in that moment, like, if this is what you did, it's not that bad. (laughs) Um, um, My favorite, I mean, I did go to the show a few times. My favorite, of course, was when Judy Toll sued Scientology for a $30,000 check. She blew it up. I remember I was staying with her. She blew it up and brought it on. She was fucking fearless and brought this fucking check and told the story, all the secrets of Scientology. That was amazing. That was people want to hear that. That's actually, you can hear that. I think on Apple music, there's a Judy toll something ology. We called it because we couldn't write Scientology. People can go listen to that. Yeah, there is. You can listen to Judy. So that's one other amazing things that happened on the stage. Julia Sweeney went on stage and said, so I have a little cancer. (laughs) Hold for laughs. That's what she would say. I have a little cancer. Hold for laughs. And that turned into her amazing show. And God said, ha. Yeah. What other, any other things that came out of it? Yeah. That you, that were like, oh my God, you know, we should get a fucking, you should get a commission on these. Good. I know. Um, I know people were like, you should become a manager. I'm like, no, 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 don't become a manager. (laughs) Well, Bob and David, you know, we're working on Mr. Show. I don't want to say. Bob Odenkirk and David David Cross. Cross. I don't want to say that really came out of Uncabaret because they, I mean, you know, it didn't come out of it, but they were working on it at the right. same time. David gave me a really great piece of advice when we were doing the Uncabaret TV show. He said, just know that it's, because they had these amazing Bob and David live shows while they were developing Mr. Show. They were great events. And um, he said, you know, just don't expect the TV thing to be the same. Like right. it's going to be different. That was great advice. And so that was happening kind of concurrently. It didn't have an ad on cabaret, but there was like crossover. They were working some stuff out. Um, and you know, the Sklar brothers, they did a show that Greg helped them produce. And uh, that came out of Uncab. You know, and- all these relationships, you know, that I, I could have been in. Um, You're in now. A lot of those people are gone. I know. I'm on cabaret zoom now. You First are. of all, on Cabaret Zoom is like the only good. It is so interesting because I have done stand up on Zoom. It's literally the only good entertainment on Zoom. It's oh, so weird how you. it translates. It translates. Well, because Carly, it's but- that thing, you know what it is? It's that phone thing. It goes right back to the phone. There's yeah. intimacy. Yeah. Um, like it's like the FaceTime. It's like the new phone of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really Plus, good. I mean, Uncabaret has always been a community. I just changed it on on Instagram from comedy show to community because, like in a way, that. that is what partly why people plug back in. I mean, I've pe- we've new people. People, it's so great with the Zoom things. So I'm I'm watching in Germany. You know. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. But, 
But I also have people who are like, I used to come to Luna Park on Robertson. You know, it's so great to see you again. Right. Like that. It's, it's, uh, I, I can't, I'm doing it again. Then. Not yeah. this Sunday, but this Sunday. And I love that you picked Sundays because Sunday is, there's something ominous about Sundays and there's something, you hate this word, hopeful about yeah. Sundays. Yeah, no, I like it now. I've, I've, I've all right. But hopeful, yeah. it, it is, it is an interesting night that most people are like, don't know what to do with it. And it's carrying so much weight Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, it happened serendipitously, but I'm so happy that it did. And it was part of, I mean, I always sign my email in my newsletter. I always sign it Sunday, you know, your Sunday girl. um, Because I do feel it's that there's a word for it that is a smarty pants word, which is liminal. And a liminal space is like a, a hallway or, you know, an in between space. Right, transitional. Yeah. Yeah. And Sunday, and it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, not going ever. I never went to first grade. I never got the rules. I was just right. went from transition to second grade. Right. This thing about being in a shift and transition and like, it's that kind of space. And it, right. even for people, I mean, for artists, it's a space of inventing new work and that in-between place of coming up with new stuff. And, and that is a really big part of what it is. So Every now and then we've done night shows on other nights, but you know, it's our home. I, I love it. And I'm so happy. It's like, I mean, I'm 57 and I finally made it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Beth, I ask my guests two questions. Always. We are very pro mental health. I suffer anxiety. I've had clinical depression as we talked about the ADD and you know, uh, no executive function whatsoever. Uh, what, uh, I, th- I know you said you meditate, mm-hmm. you do yoga. Have you have you ever taken antidepressants? Have you ever? Um... I never have, even though it's been suggested to me many right. times. And in fact, when I was in high school, I had another different onyx ring, and people used to go, "Oh, it's your mood ring." Um, I love mood rings. I used to check it to see what kind of mood I was in. I mean, like I didn't, yeah, I love it. So um, I've never taken antidepressants. I've been resistant to it. I, don't I know wish why. I would, but yeah, um, it's I think awesome. I, has it helped you? It has. It's just the weight gain, and I take so many pills every day. I'm like, I'm like a fucking, you know, yeah. drugstore. But but you know, I mean, if you can figure out. People need therapy. People need. Therapy, yoga, meditation. I mean, meditation has really, 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 really helped. And I've done so many different kinds. But six years ago, I started a meditation practice that's called Vedic, which is essentially the uh, Sanskrit yogic version of TM. You get your mantra. And it's so simple. I I mean, other practices would make me anxious. So I hate to even just say meditation because that can mean so many different things. Specifically, this one practice has helped me a lot. Um, did you have to pay $8,000 for your money? No, but I did have to pay, but not $8,000. Uh, you can find a Vedic teacher that they have a sliding scale and okay. I paid in payments and it was, re- I really did it as most of my life, you know, oh, well, one of my friends became a teacher and oh, right. we have to support him and ugh, I'm just done, I mean, never blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out to be this thing that like, you know. Right. The other thing, you know, I, it is, the podcast is called Kill Me Now because as you know, everything gets on my fucking nerves. So I want to know what pisses you off more than like what besides 
I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I was going to say, I gave you two examples. I know. For me, it's a lot. Um, does it, anything drive you fucking, like where you were like, I want to fucking kill, you know, like I can't. You know, it's funny. I do have a hard time with anger. Um, I don't know that, why. Your parents seem to really embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there was that moment in the, you know, all these things about the comedy world. I, 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 this a little thing? I mean, maybe if a little yeah, thing is okay. Yeah. I really, I'm a very patient driver because I'm a bad driver. So I'm always like, well, that's something I would do. Right. Um, but the thing of where people go through red lights because oh. they've been waiting and so they think it's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah that I've happens in LA all the time. I've been waiting. I'm not, I mean, it's my turn. And it's like, <laughs> it's not your turn. The light's red. The light's red, and no matter what, what you think, there's a red light saying it's not your turn. Like, you put in, I put in my time, so yeah. fuck it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's my time, <laughs> my turn. So that makes me, like, super, super, super mad. I do get really still mad at, um, you know, the all, I do, the boys club just does still make me mad. Oh, I mean, makes me so upset. I can't. I, mean, not, I can't even look at it. Like, I don't even know that it makes me mad because I can barely stand to look. It's got, the, I have, that has gotten worse in me. And, and having two straight white male sons and seeing how their life, how they navigate through life and how much easier it is. It makes it even, it makes me, I mean, they're good. I mean, I, I have, yeah, yeah. They're yeah, good yeah, people. yeah. They love, you know, they're good, good. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like, I'm at the point where like a guy walks, I'm in a store here in Provincetown and a straight guy walks in with his fucking loafers on and his fucking khaki shorts and his hairy oh, legs. Khakis make me mad. That's enough. Oh. Just, just the khakis. And, and you know they walk on the on the outside of their foot. They do that little. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to take their head and fucking. I want to. I fuck. I. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, I just for me, it's like you know. Even my dad said to me like last year at some point, he said, "You know, honey, maybe your life would have been easier if you were a guy." I think you would have had a lot more opportunities. My dad said to me, just like that. Like, yeah, just like that. Oh, nice really? Little... Did you just figure that out? <laughs> but I mean, it was sort of sweet because yeah. in some ways, I don't ever think that. I mean, right. in some ways, I just think, well, I mean, you know, I'm just weird and I'm just different and that's why. And, right. you know, and then I see weird guys getting like, I'm like, wait a minute. It's not that you're weird. It's that you're a weird girl. Right. And that's right. what's, that's the problem right, is right. that, you know, so, you know, but I, I, but then I, I, it's like the, where does the anger get me? And then I get upset about not being angry and, you know, so I try to just stay in my own lane most of the time, you know, your color of the rainbow and what can you do? And, you know, uh, if you hadn't been mad, then you wouldn't have started on right, right. and that's yeah, your assignment. Guys and... don't do that. Guys don't do that. Mm -mm. They just move on. Move it on. Um, Beth, I love you. I love, I love you. you so much. I love like, you. I, no, I feel I, like I, our, I just will love you forever. Oh, same. Let's hope I live. Um, and I'm so excited to do on cabaret yeah. book comes out that to the to, the 28th oh so what you have it right so you'll promote it i already yeah. ordered uh, you know what i have to tell you something i never pre-ordered a book before and i pre-ordered your book 
I love you. I never have pre-ordered a book. And I just thought, why don't, you know what I said to myself? I said, I saw the pre-order and I was like, well, I don't do that. And then I was like, why? Why don't you do that? You should be doing that. This is something you, why don't you do that? That's something you could do to change the world. You could, you could find the things you love. And that's what we have to do now. We have to, that's all we can do is support the things that we love that are ours. And that's how we make the world, the world we want. Yeah, I agree. And you know, that is a very good mode of expression. Uh, I love you. Thank you for having I me. Love, thank you for having me. Where tell people on cab oh, where I'm, can they find you on Instagram? Uh Beth Lapidus. There's a dash Beth underscore Lapidus. I don't know why I did it. L A P I D P Lapidus. 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 Yeah. And, um, and then on Cabaret, U-N-C-A-B-A-R-E-T. There are two different things. It's very confusing. Follow both. Uh, and on Twitter, Beth Lapidus and on Cabaret and uh, the websites and Facebook, all, bo- all that same stuff. And um, get on the email list and come to the And go pop in. Pop in. Zoom in. It's so much fun. We've got, I mean, besides Judy, I mean, just the crew. And it's so much fun. We've been able to have new people. And, um, you know, and anyway, we've got, I'm not going to list names, but it's been fun. Thank you so much for listening to part two of Kill Me Now with Beth Lapidus. If you like the show and how can you not make sure to subscribe and leave a review. It helps more people find this amazing podcast. Five stars only, please. Thank you. I am thrilled, excited just I beside myself uh, that I get to announce that my book yes I can say that when they come for the comedians we're all in trouble is out today July 28th you're probably not listening to this on July 28th but today's the day Tuesday that my podcast does come out so I'm just letting you know it's it's ready for you to buy Um, If you haven't had the chance, grab it on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. I did an audio book and I'm really proud of it. Also, I couldn't be more thrilled to be performing live at the Crown and Anchor in Provincetown. It's outside by the pool every Monday and every Wednesday night until September, Labor Day. I'll be performing stand-up, my own show on Mondays, and I'll be performing with Varla Jean Merman, the Judy and Varla show, every Wednesday. Both shows are at 9 o'clock. Get your tickets at onlyatthecrown.com. As always, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram for any upcoming virtual dates uh, at... Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y, you know, like Jew Gold. And look for me this week. I'm doing a lot of press on the book. And uh, I hope uh, I hope you enjoy it. And as we always say, so long! And uh, everything was wonderful. I'll see you soon. Thank you for the visit. So long!